0: Welcome to Unsafe Space, everyone. I'm Carter Laren. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Anything you can do to share our content does help us grow. If you think you're already subscribed on YouTube, you might want to double check. Sometimes Susan likes to unsubscribe people for who knows what reason. Uh, You can also support us financially by going to unsafespace.com where you can buy merchandise. There's lots of cool stuff there, or you can just donate. Uh, Either one of those things uh, do help us keep the lights on here. Recently, we invited Dr. Michael Rechtenwald back to the show to discuss his latest book, Thought Criminal. It's his first novel and also the selection for this month's Unsafe Space Book Club. For those of you who don't remember him, Dr. Rechtenwald was a professor of liberal studies and global liberal studies at NYU from 2008 to 2019. He also taught at Duke University, North Carolina Central University, Carnegie Mellon University, and Case Western Reserve University. His scholarly and academic essays have appeared in the Quarterly Journal of Austrian Economics, Academic Questions, Endeavor, the British Journal of the History of Science, College Composition and Communication, International Philosophical Quarterly, the de Guter Anthologies Organized Secularism in the United States and Global Secularisms in a Post-Secular Age, that's a great title, and the Cambridge University Press Anthology, George Eliot in Context, among others. He holds a PhD in literary and cultural studies from Carnegie Mellon University, a master's in English literature from Case Western Reserve University, and a BA in English literature from the University of Pittsburgh. Professor Rechtenwald is a pundit and champion of free speech and opposes all forms of authoritarianism and totalitarianism, including socialism, communism, social justice, fascism, and political correctness. As the notorious The Anti-PC Prof on Twitter, he has appeared on numerous major network political talk shows, on syndicated radio shows, and on numerous YouTube shows and podcasts, including this one. In addition to Thought Criminal, he's also the author of multiple other books, including Springtime for Snowflakes, Google Archipelago, and Beyond Woke. You can follow him on Twitter at The Anti-PC Prof, and you can find more of his work at michaelrechtenwald.com. Dr. Rechtenwald, Michael, welcome back to Unsafe Space.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I I love talking to you. Um, and I know you've written, you're a very prolific writer. You've written lots of other books. You've written poetry. You've written fiction. But this is your first novel. Thought Criminal is your first novel. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, was the process different? Was it harder, more fulfilling, less
1: fulfilling? It's, what was it's, it like? much, it's much harder than uh, anything else. It's harder than academic discourse. It's harder than uh, writing for op-eds for general audiences. It's its harder than technical writing. It, it's harder than anything else I've ever tried uh, because there are so many difficulties. Uh, one of them is, of course, the plot and making things move. I didn't have any trouble with that here because uh, the uh, I set up a scenario such that the action had to go from where I... From the conditions that I imposed on the story and that just unraveled from there. I didn't plan the plot, I didn't know where it was going. There were a couple possible directions, and I wasn't sure which one I would actually take. But it almost was like a a thought experiment in which I got the characters into these difficult predicaments and then tried to work their way out of it. Uh, So, you know, that worked that way. Um, The difficulty about long fiction is you got to keep track of so much. Um, did I have him wearing a hat? Where'd it go? Um, did I have him uh, carrying such and such a thing? Well, you can't forget that. You have to do something with it. And, uh, you know, then you have to go back and see if everything's consistent with what's been said before, you know, and then edit and, uh, it makes it kind of interesting. Um, so I had a lot of that. So that made it more difficult, but the hard thing about long fiction is just keep going. It's just keeping, going and just, uh, you know, I think most people have trouble with plot and uh, this is actually a very plot driven novel. Um, And uh, so that wasn't really a problem. Luckily, I thought it would be, I thought that would be the problem, but it wasn't.
0: Yeah. And, And I think it's, it must be even harder to do a futuristic novel in which the universe itself is something that you have to keep in, in your crow mentally because it's not the real universe that we're in Um, right
1: first of all you have to create the world in which action takes place and uh, that's the hardest thing about fiction but it's even harder with science fiction because you've got to create all the elements Uh, you can't assume anything exists then you know in the future that exists now so you have to reproduce things and make different things and then make them make sense with reference to each other and uh, make sure they're not obsolete with reference to other things and the technologies have to be and i tried to make them credible that uh, and that is that you know this is a possibility that could actually happen and so i tried to keep the technology uh workable in in a hypothetical way but nevertheless still not uh you know, completely fantasy. It's not fantasy fiction. It's, uh, it's, it's actual science fiction, so that it tries to maintain some scientific uh, credibility.
0: Yeah, you can imagine a world in which this stuff is happening. Yeah, so,
1: unfortunately, unfortunately, you can imagine unfortunately, yeah. This stuff is yeah.
0: <laughs> um, now, I will get into some, maybe some spoilers later, but let's do it at the end of the show and I'll warn the audience before we get into spoilers. So if they mm-hmm. wanna drop off, they can, but mm-hmm. without any spoilers, could you gave, maybe give people a teaser or uh, an overview of what's the book about?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a book about uh, a science, a future in which uh, there is uh, this professor of AI and neuroscience uh, who is uh, in theory of mind, uh, who uh, when a virus is, uh, when a virus uh, panic hits, he has a theory about the virus, and the virus, he thinks, is actually being propagated purposefully by the state, by uh, the state of Pandemos, which is a global state. And, uh, and that his hunch is that the virus actually consists of neuro uh, nanobots, that attach to the uh, neurons of the neocortex and conduct information flows between the subject and this vast database and processing system that runs the, that is the technological architecture infrastructure of uh, the state called collective mind, and so the object for the uh, protagonist and a few others is to f- find a way to ca- stay disconnected from collective mind because it overwrites their, well, they think it'll overwrite your own thoughts and eventually, as such, displace your personality. And so you won't be yourself at all. Uh, so that's the that's the premise of the novel.
0: Now, uh, I think it was Kenneth Timmerman who wrote The Election Heist that, that called this the 1984 of the COVID era. Yeah, and, pretty kind. Know, one, <laughs> yeah. I mean, one thing I was thinking about was, were you... Did you conceive of this story prior to COVID or was this inspired? In the middle of it, COVID?
1: it was right in the middle of it. Uh, some of the, the things that were happening in the COVID predicament made me decide to create a viral scenario uh, that wouldn't be the same as our own, but then would still draw some elements of what was going on. And uh, so there's lockdowns and there's, of uh, prohibitions about how many people can meet at once. And there's, uh, you know, the same sort of desolation we saw with the lockdowns in the at the outset in March and April, where all the streets are empty and uh, everybody is basically locked down. and uh, And then there's all these prohibitions. And also you have to wear this mask, but in this case, it's like a full, it's a full bubble mask that covers your entire head and uh, that you you have to use a small lightweight oxygen tank to breathe uh which attaches to like your belt and uh so uh yeah the 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 virus definitely was uh the uh, impetus for the setting no question about it but also not just the virus but all the behaviors that were attendant upon the virus and uh so uh you'll see that a lot of the themes in there have to do with this thing called collective mind, which is this, uh, you know, this collectivizing force, this collectivizing technology that basically uh, up, you know, erodes individual autonomy and selfhood. And so these are some of the things that I saw going on with reference to the virus And I just made it material, uh, turned it into a technological artifact as opposed to just something that was uh, kind of imperceptible but nevertheless noticeable.
0: I was going to ask you about that specifically, because it it, it did, you know, it's this kind of like uh, Durkheimian concept of the collective consciousness, which is Mm -hmm. this uh, difficult thing to nail down. And you chose to make it this concrete I guess you, you, introduced this technology whereby there's something concrete that acts as the agents of this collective consciousness. So we can kind of see it more clearly yeah, as an audience. Definitely. I'm wondering, um, why you, why you chose to do that and, and what advantages do you think that has for, for people living in current day to see that?
1: Well, it gives you an alibi, first of all, that, you know, when you're talking about collectivism or some sort of collective unconscious or collective consciousness, that you have an alibi that this is technological and therefore you can't be uh, presumed to be making it up or imagining it. And second of all, you can't be criticized for uh, collectivizing this mentality as a kind of uh, sociological analysis that's based simply on some sort of a bias or prejudice, but instead it's a manifest entity that can't be denied. So therefore, you you kind of have a an escape hatch for uh, introducing it without uh, prejudice, more or less.
0: That makes that makes sense. Um, I mean, you actually, although I, I don't think this is a spoiler. You actually, I'll I'll quote you to you at the mm-hmm. <laughs> at the end of the book. I like you, say, you do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, contrary to received notions, collective mind had always been more than a technology. And then you say, it was only possible when a collective became complicit in its own subje- subjection and when the subjects imposed subjugation upon each other. Um, so it's interesting because I feel like at the end, after you've provided that alibi that you say, you kind of pull the rug out and be like,
1: actually, you don't need the tech to see this. As well. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I wanted to make clear that people are complicit and actually. It involves their necessary belief in it in order for it to function, and then they also become apparatuses of it. They become state apparatuses in their own right. Uh, That's one of the things I wanted to get across, that uh, individuals act as state apparatuses and impose the subjugation upon others and themselves.
0: So something that might strike people uh, in this book is that there's no particularly bad guy. They're not like the evil Thanos. Right. He's a very clear villain. Um, Who do you view the bad guy as? Is there
1: a bad guy? And who? The bad guy is like all the other people that are, they're not visualized or even introduced, but you, you just know they must be there. These other people that have not resisted this collective mind that are effectively... Uh, automatons, if you will, because they're completely taken over by it, and they have no subject to it. They have no autonomy. So those those are the bad guys, even though they don't do anything nefarious. They just comply. Uh, and I guess you could also say the mediastry, as it's called in the novel. Uh, they're the propaganda organ of the of the collective mind of the state too. And so th- that's kind of a ne- a, a nefarious. Uh, element but the, it's really the the uh it's all cast on this collective mind really when it comes down to it that yeah this, i was gonna say
0: even the media street's is not really functioning independently of the collective no. mind it is a yeah. manifestation right
1: right it's the villainous collective mind it it ends up and i i will give this spoiler away it ends up in effect killing one of the characters I, she suicides herself to it in effect who she finds no way out of it and she sees no future and she's young that's the other thing uh she's young and so she hasn't had any time to see how things can be dealt with you know just as we see in this COVID panic you know a lot of young people committing suicide because they see no future no way forward uh this happens in the novel
0: yeah well since you went into you opened the spoiler gate let's just uh <laughs> i've got I, I got some questions both about ginger suicide and um Ralph Barnes's destruction—they're um, both a couple cases where they there was this pain that was introduced of like okay, this is a good person that we liked who's dead or destroyed <laughs> effectively. Yeah. You know, Ralph Barnes's fate. Um, what what was the purpose of kind of introducing? I mean, you've talked about Gingers. What was the purpose of Ralph Barnes's destruction there?
1: Well, there have to be casualties. You know, um, I wanted to make it an ending that was victorious. But you know, not without casualties, not some sort of a you know uh, like a panacea that everybody gets out and everybody's free and all this there have to be some losses at stake and uh, also it's 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 aiming to show what these victims of totalitarianism uh, that there are victims and there are people that die or or suffer tremendous damage like wolf Barnes. I believe I leave it open where right? he could have had you know probably they may have conducted some sort of a brain surgery on him and totally destroyed his uh uh selfhood they, they probably lobotomized him or something because this was the object object just so people weren't thinking that's the key it, yeah. uh,
0: you mentioned that you don't that they didn't care if you if they were controlling your mind so long as you weren't controlling <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> which is uh that's pretty dark yeah but- feels accurate when we relate it to today
1: it what, does what about, feel like it.
0: yeah what about jack Moloch? is he a hero or a coward or he, he's like... a coward
1: he's uh he never comes clean and becomes a deviationist uh, like the other thought deviationists in the novel of which Varen is i guess the pre- preeminent one uh he wavers and uh he ends up performing the surgery i guess on rolf barnes and Destroying him in in order to save himself, so that he doesn't get accused of being a deviationist himself. Yeah. Uh, so he has to perform this horrible operation, I guess, in order to uh, uh to to uh, to make sure that he is not you know blamed. So it's kind of like what happens under totalitarianism, as uh, the only way to escape is by accusing somebody else or or um, effectively sacrificing others in order to stay alive and he does that
0: so there's no way for him to, pers- to to continue existing without eventually doing the evil will of the collective mind
1: yeah except if he had only known that they were going to defuse it uh so his his actions actually uh unnecessary in light of the facts that come out later but who would have known that they could possibly undo this amazing, powerful database.
0: I mean, it's it's interesting how, uh, in the end, it's relatively simple to undo, um, because it yeah. just involves re, re, like it just involves returning control to individuals, yeah, um, and and it kind of undoes itself.
1: Yeah, it becomes uh, its its uh, function becomes moot when it's shut off. In effect, it, it gets shut off. Or its its capacity to control gets shut off, uh, but this takes some engineering on on the part of uh, Varon and uh, his robot yeah. assistants.
0: Well, let's talk about his robot assistance because I I do have a question as as I know you've done a lot of uh, you've done a lot of work either directly or tangentially around transhumanism and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Like- Uh, that whole robotics and genetics and, and nanotechnology. Why include a deviationist robot? What was the- Because one of
1: the things I didn't want to do was have this thing where robots, bad people, good. And and that there would be this, um, you know, dichotomy between the robotic and the human. Whereas I wanted to make it such that you could have actually, what if a robot could deviate? What if a robot could actually uh, attempt to attain autonomy from this collective mind, and uh, what would happen then? so I made a robot a deviationist uh, he he's somehow disconnected. he doesn't really know how and variance doesn't really nobody really knows why or how he got disconnected, but he is and he starts to become self his his his, his he starts to respond to his environment and in connection with his own programming to carry out his own uh, desiderata. So it, yeah. it, he's uh, he is effectively becoming, in effect, more human than some of the people that are still connected.
0: I was going to ask you about that because it does then bring to mind that, you know, many of the humans are more robotic than uh, Bottas is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. and um, and it, And it kind of raises this philosophical question, which I'm sure you've, Thought about and and have cool. opinions about is what you know. What's the ori- Like, what makes a human a human? What makes humans special? What's the origin of individual rights? Is mm-hmm. it the is it the human DNA or is it something else?
1: That's a great question, and it, it, it kind of goes back to this very. I think a great essay written by uh, I forget his name actually. <laughs> it's called "Is Google Making Us Stupid?" And one of the things he noted about that is that. In uh, Space Odyssey, uh, what is it? Space Odyssey twenty, what was it called? Uh,
0: Which the movie or the David yeah, the Bowie movie song
1: with, <laughs> with Hal and uh, Oh, uh, two thousand and one. Yeah, two thousand and one Space Odyssey. Yeah, how Hal has more emotionality and is less robotic than the humans that are disconnecting him, that are that are unplugging him and uh, taking him down, and. Uh, And that was one thing I I really have been impressed by, is that the question of, as we implement AI, uh, do we become more like automated technology and the the AI itself become more like humans? So that we sort of, we lose our humanity while they gain something like humanity. And uh, we become stupid while they actually gain intelligence. Uh, so, that's one of the things I wanted to get across there uh, and um, that, uh, that the division is not uh, along genetic lines or even along species lines or even along organic versus uh, non-organic lines but something else. Uh, I'm not sure I ever light on what that something else is other than to call it autonomy.
0: I was gonna say it's going to say it's something related to autonomy. And I would even say, uh, maybe not accepted responsibility, but like ultimately responsibility for your own actions. Like it's that, it's that kind of autonomy. That's somehow seems like is suggested in the novel is somehow related to where humanity comes from in a, in yeah.
1: the there's self-ownership as I guess the real, that's a good principle. way to put it. Yeah. Self-ownership. Yeah which yeah. is a libertarian concept, right? That the self uh, is property. it should be. Yeah, yes, it should be. Indeed. <laughs> that the self is our property, it's our first property and it's the property on which all other property rights are based. <clears throat> and without which we have no rights at all. Right. So, and
0: and over which we have independent control. When left to our own devices, right? Like, right, which leaves you
1: responsible and leaves you, like, Varen making mistakes, like accidentally killing somebody. Yep. And uh, having to own that, having to own that. um, Now, Bodus doesn't have to own it in terms of morality, but, uh, and he can't quite understand why Varen would be upset. Like, you know, what is the implication of somebody being killed by you other than the other than what the practical implications like, well, he's not there anymore to, go to jail and you right? could yeah. go to jail. Basically, that's it. He doesn't see any other moral. He doesn't see any moral implications. It's a legal matter for him and a technical matter. Uh, but maybe that gets resolved because at the end of the novel, he decides that he will not continue with the, with Varen, he will go off on his own and try to be reprogrammed to include emotionality. And perhaps this will add, add, will add the element necessary to become a moral agent.
0: So I was gonna ask you about that, actually. Do you think that um, uh, botuses, uh do you think, do you, well, I guess BOTUS aside, do you think that the emotionality, emotions are necessary for moral decision-making or do you think moral decision-making could occur in kind of an emotional state?
1: It's possible that it seems like emotions may be uh, either a precondition or a, uh, a subsequent consequence of a, of a moral agent. So it's the kind of question where in science, oftentimes the cause and effect are conflated in a way we don't know what's cause and what's effect. And so in medicine, for example, they just add something that may be actually an effect, but it actually works as a cause and you know what I'm getting at here? Like, yeah. Yeah. There's a correlation between two things. That's clear, but we
0: don't really know what, know what the relationship
1: is. So that's kind of the gambit that he's hoping to, uh, by adding emotion, perhaps since that seems to be concomitant with it, with moral, agency perhaps this will bring it on
0: yeah because he makes a statement about humans behaving um how we would perceive as immoral and his assumption is that it's because they're not in touch with their emotions or no they don't they don't feel anything
1: right right some people could carry out monstrous acts and i think he's speaking here like about agents of the state who carry out monstrous acts without emotional without any emotional reaction at all and then Uh, others that do minor things and feel overwhelmed by guilt and uh, right. and remorse and things like that. So I think that's right. That's the connection he's trying to make. Around, you know, why
0: why do you want Varin to play a role in Faustin's death? I mean you brought it up. why, why what was the I wanted reason? to prove
1: that unlike that unlike fantasy, people don't judge others very well often. They make mistakes about other people. Hmm. I do this myself. I have poor judgment about other people. Generally, on the opposite I end, all right. <laughs> I assume everybody's good, and I assume everybody's smart, and I assume they have the best intentions, and then I find out maybe sometimes otherwise. Uh, so I give everybody the benefit of the doubt. He's paranoid about it. Understandably everybody. so, though. Yes. Yes, totally understandably. So I wanted to make a flip where Faustin ends up being a deviationist, an very unsuspecting deviationist, because he seems to be running the whole show of taking the deviationists in and re- basically making sure that they are disinfected, i.e., infected with the virus. Right. This is one of the things that I wondered if people how that how that came across reading, you know, that infection according to the state, was actually disinfection for the person. And then being infected was actually, or being disinfected actually meant you were infected. Uh, so.
0: I mean, I can only speak personally. Yeah. I mean, it, that, that particular device spoke, like, I really liked that particular device because it felt... It, it mirrors how I feel about modern discourse generally. That it's it's we're living. I mean, it, it's why people say that we're in a clown world or opposite yeah. land or whatever. Sometimes it's, right. it's that kind it's like, of ridiculousness.
1: Well, everything that's is the opposite of what is being said. Right. And uh, and so to have the virus means, according to the state, if you have the virus means you don't have it. Uh, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. And they need to clear you. To, they need to fix you to make sure you have the virus. <laughs> but they're calling it, you know, vaccine. They're calling right? it a cure,
1: a vaccine. Yeah, they're calling it prevention against the virus when in fact what it does is make sure the virus works constantly as opposed to possibly intermittently. That there's no way to have that, that it controls your thinking to such an extent that you can't shut off the inputs from collective mind, but vis-a-vis thinking on your own. Um that part was fun. I liked the chapter where I talk about how the virus and vaccine work. Um yeah. that was fun. Yeah. Brought back yeah. my science days. I used to be a science student. <laughs>
0: uh you've been a not science student for quite some time though, I think. That's uh, right at this point. But I did
1: work yeah. in AI for five years. Okay. At and, CMU or a, where were you at? Yeah, as a writer. Okay. No, I wasn't a programmer, but I had to look at their crazy shit. And try to make sense out of it uh, as to what it was doing, so and I you know I got the jargon and the concepts of what what AI was attempting to do, so that helped yeah
0: well let, let's actually we touched on this before, but it's something that's really interesting to me and uh and I know you have expertise here um, a lot of people are afraid of transhumanism generally, mm-hmm. um, and in fact, in one of your articles, you wrote a, uh, an article t- titled "The Titanic and Transhumanism."
1: I did. Um, I forgot all about did. that. Yeah, wow! Well. How did you find that? My <laughs> God! I don't even. I, that. that's buried so deep. I have no idea that exists. Well, but. I'm going to tell you what you say okay, in this article because do I don't remember He's, at all.
0: Um, You're giving an example of someone who uh, is opposed to transhumanism, and you're using Francis Fukuyama as the example, and you say, the philosopher Francis Fukuyama argues that our notion of individual rights depends on a stable human nature. Changes to human nature undermine the secular foundation for morals and ethics. When some human beings are enhanced by GNR technologies, Fukuyama insists, the dignity and respect accorded to... The unenhanced will diminish. Their human rights will erode as the enhanced argue for privileges based on their generally acknowledged superiority. And I guess my question is that that's kind of a Fukuyama seems to that quote or of yours about Fukuyama seems to really encapsulate, I think, what a lot of people are nervous about when it comes to transhumanism. Um, and I know you're not a Luddite, so mm-hmm. what is your view on this and how would you respond
1: to people like Fukuyama? Are you- Well, I, I, taught, a seg- you know, you know, I taught a segment in a course uh, on transhumanism every year. I guess that's where I used the Fukuyama essay. I forget what it was called. I think it's just called Transhumanism, in which he makes that argument in which uh, he says that when others are enhanced, uh, th- that our rights depend on this equality Uh, and, uh, this equality is the stable human nature. So when you enhance some people, they become unequal with reference to the rest. So therefore they have more rights. Well, I don't buy into that at all. I don't think that some sort of de facto equality is necessary for human rights. If I believe that, then I would say we couldn't have human rights right now because I don't believe anyone is equal to anybody else. not in a de facto way, only du jure, basically. We grant an abstract set of rights to people based on their participation in the human uh, species. Now, I'm not a transhumanist, but I don't like those kind of uh, arguments against it. My arguments about transhumanism have to do more with uh not that i'm uh, afraid of enhancements or technologies or uh, improvements to the human subject supervening our human ca- you know lost our cap- uh, capabilities overcoming obstacles you know i forget there was a reason or uh, an article in the Re- in reason in which he basically suggested that we, we became transhumanists when, when we started Building fires and, and making wheels, you know, that we already over and we're wearing glasses and uh, any other prosthesis that effectively uh, t- to take us from our natural state and, and give us a, a, a sort of uh, more than natural condition. Uh, so, those are not the, the issues for me in transhumanism. The issues for me is basically uh that and i wrote about this in an essay called the singularity and socialism when i was still a socialist by the way and and that essay basically gets into the question of who is going to control this technology and what they're going to do with it and my my contention is still that that is and the novel plays out this question very well i think i mean you know well enough uh, we could talk about the literary or merits or lack thereof, perhaps, uh, but uh, the idea being that uh, the transhuman future will not be distributed equally, and it'll likely get into hands of control, you know, of, like, for example, what we have now, big tech uh, and oligarchs and the state, and therefore... It won't represent like Kurzweil suggested, you know, uh, this uh, singularity moment in which basically, which basically gives birth to God. But as I said in Google Archipelago, but rather gives birth to an outdoor prison system uh, that will basically be used to totally control us and incapacitate us while seemingly handing out enhancements to us. This will be the inducement that will be, will be, will, will believe that these are enhancements, but they'll actually be used as control mechanisms. Um, so that's my basic problem with transhumanism. Right. And
0: I mean, I think, I think that makes sense to me. I know this isn't a question, but now you're wanting, I, I'm now wanting to riff on this a little bit because it's an interesting topic to me. And sure. it, to me, it makes, it means that philosophy is all the more important right now because mm-hmm. it's that you know, if you have a system in which you don't have Liberty, if you have, Mm -hmm. if you have authoritarian control, any technology that's introduced will exaggerate the power dynamic. That's there. And if you have Liberty, maybe it will exaggerate Liberty and that will be great. But if you don't, it'll exaggerate the opposite.
1: That's right. I agree with that a hundred percent. And so that's why I guess in the novel, the precondition for the setting up of collective mind is already a state of uh, that lacks liberty. Otherwise, it it couldn't have happened like this where these authoritarians or totalitarians get total control and then they are under the control of this as well. Um, That's the other question I, I don't probe too much in there but I really have in my mind is what happens when AI becomes the dictator if, if AI becomes a dictator, does then the ruling elite even become subject to it as well? Are they, also, uh, are they also prisoners in effect? Or is there some way out? So that's one of the reasons in the novel I have uh, a chapter in which I basically suggest that the core of, 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 of essential data is, is still human that there are still some humans there that are able to overwrite the programming of the database in order to effect certain ends. And that's definitely a necessary condition, uh, because otherwise we could be subject to AI dictatorship.
0: It seems to me that, that it again, to get back to the philosophy stuff, it, it, what's really necessary is if you have a very clear, um, if you have a very clear understanding or description, I'll say of or definition of where individual rights come from, what mm-hmm. constitutes an individual, and what. Getting back to answering that question before mm-hmm. we we're talking about is what makes something quote human. Mm-hmm. Um, then you don't have to be afraid of a super powerful AI because it will also respect your autonomy and individual mm-hmm. rights if, it's got, if those principles are embedded in part of culture and society and therefore in the AI programming, that's right. it's kind of safe. But if you start saying, well, it has some nebulous thing to do with our genetics, you're now automatically pitting humans against machines in a way mm-hmm. that seems pretty dangerous.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think you're right there. Um, that's why I don't try to put it in those essentialist terms uh, that, in fact, there is uh, the possibility of, I, like I say in uh, Google Archipelago, I'm not opposed to AI or many of the things that they can do they can do for us, like enhancements of all kinds and even genetic rewriting such that we can obviate disease and so on and so forth. Uh, I guess the question is, you know, the premises that the people working on and are operating from, which is always why I've been very uh, nervous about the fact that the people that are running big tech are authoritarians and they don't value individual autonomy and rights. That's that, crazy. in fact, they're creating SJW bots, if you will. And that's yeah. the worst thing ever. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the, that's the scary thing.
0: Absolutely. Yeah 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 s j
1: w bots are the scariest thing i can imagine and then we have not only just people cancelling us but we get cancelled by these by these bots and uh these bots are also detecting our deviationist uh you know uh, tendencies and all this 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 is frightening in my my view yeah
0: and and when you couple it with the uh at least my I'll say my belief because i don't I don't have proof of this, but I think there's empirical evidence to suggest that you can't actually suppress technology forever. you can you can suppress it a little bit, you can delay it, you can outlaw things and whatever. but eventually it's going to surface. and um that means that if we don't have our ducks in a row from a cultural and philosophic perspective when this stuff surfaces, we're in a lot of trouble.
1: No, that's a great point. that's that's the best way to put it, really. Unless we have the premises understood and established, and what in fact are the values and uh, what are what are the principles on which we operate a society, without that, then we could be we could succumb to the kind of programming that will end up hemming us in. Yep. Yep.
0: Can I? Can I? Uh, this is maybe a weird thing to say, but it's been something that I would I think about whenever I hear the word transhuman. Um, mm-hmm. I've decided personally, I don't like the word transhuman because humans, their primary means of survival is their functioning reasoning mind. Mm-hmm. And so anything that's a product of our mind is inherently human. Mm-hmm. I don't actually, I kind of reject this concept of, well, that's transhuman. Mm-hmm. Um, because to be human is to think and use your, your yeah. rational mind to change the world around you and make yeah. your
1: environment better. That's How true. How does that strike you? Oh, that strikes me just fine. I um, it, it just it does draw a. Uh, it it does sort of suggest that we wouldn't be so awed by, by our own technologies in a way such that we would accord those who are wielding it a transhuman capacity, whereas if we just see them as improved tools and technologies, you know, like others in the same. You know they're not of a different register entirely you know they're qualitatively different but they don't escape the they, they don't sort of come like in a hegelian dialectic there's not this uh there's not this uh dialectic of quantity and quality at what uh, such that at one point it becomes something else right uh, and uh I think that's the that's that's the that's the predicament that people talk about transhumanism are in. That there's something about the technology that takes us out of our selves. It isn't ourselves doing it as such. It's right. the, there's a qualitative difference they see between the technologies of the past and these future technologies or these present technologies, such that we become something else. Um,
0: but we already are kind of something. I mean, I don't yeah, know we I, are. my yeah. the smartest The the, I will say the highest IQ person I ever knew was my boss from 20 years ago. He was a world-renowned cryptographer. He was like a savant, very very smart guy, and he viewed his computer as an extension of his process, like his processing power in his brain. And he was an extremely fast coder. And you Mm -hmm. could ask him a question. He had, he literally had a, a script compiler open on his computer all the time, and during conversations. He would like type in little programs and execute them to answer yeah. a question that he had, and I and I thought to I myself, I,
1: I worked with them. They're very strange, and I like right, them.
0: Right, actually. right, but but it made him extremely powerful, right, in yeah. terms of like his his mind. He was already really smart, and then he was able to come to answers and and figure stuff out so much faster. And I I kind of viewed that dynamic as like, well, if that's not if that's not quote transhuman, what? What is it I mean, I guess you could embed the chip in his
1: brain, but it's it slows him down a little bit, but not much. Well, this this brings up an idea. You, we could say, like uh, Bruno Latour said, we have uh, uh, we have never been modern. You could say that we have always been transhuman. In effect, yeah, we've always been transhuman. That there's so. always a supervening aspect about humanity that's always overcoming itself. Because uh,
0: we don't live by instinct. Right. right?
1: That's We're not how we survive. It's a self overcoming at all times. And that's kind of consistent with Nietzsche, I think, too. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of his more <laughs> uh, you know, elements where it's Ubermensch, you know, that's basically knocking everybody else out of existence. Yeah. So
0: uh, do you think that. Um, <sighs> how, how close are we
1: to. The
0: world of thought criminal.
1: Unfortunately, really close. Uh, first of all, the technology is right on the cusp. I mean, I I did reading to get to this idea. It wasn't like I brought this out of my head. Yeah, you know, hashed this on my own. This is technology that they're actually developing. I mean, Elon Musk is talking about it, but they're also talking about this kind of virus-like uh, nanobot. That actually disguises itself like a virus to the to the body, to the cells, and they act as if it's a virus, and they're shaped like viruses, and uh, th- that they they sort of um, imitate the ARC gene, ARC, and uh, that then they pass for part of the body, and as such, they are not rejected as such. Uh, well i should say they're not they don't get treated like viruses they get treated like this arc gene that actually resembles the virus uh that part of it is not far off uh, the other part of it i think we're there already uh, that is to say this collectivism right um yep. that we're really living in this collectivist nightmare in my opinion uh, i don't want to get too spooky but it's a nightmare to me <laughs> sure
0: sure well i mean you reminded me of uh, p- part of the book reminded me of something that Scott Adams talks about people watching two different movies. Um, and there is this, uh, there is this sense and, and you, you touched on the arguments against this when we talked about why you concretize the collective mind. So that you, you, you couldn't be accused of just having a bias here, but there's yeah. definitely a sense that look, there are, there's a large swaths of society that are, living in this, in this universe, I guess maybe Marcuse would say the established universe of meaning for these people is it's very specific and it's not necessarily related to reality. It's related yeah. to the narrative about reality. Yes. Yeah. Propagating.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right. You could say they're living on, uh, the official narrative narrativity, the, the memology of the, uh, uh of the regime in, in effect they're gobbling up these mean streams as if that's reality and they're not able to pierce outside of it if if anybody can i think others i think people can if i didn't think people could i would give up um right. and i would probably already be subsumed by this mean stream myself but i don't think that i'm that people are necessarily uh I mean, I don't think people are unable to, and I don't think everybody is actually under it, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I, I, clearly not everyone is. Um, yeah. And some of us might, you know, die on boxcars resisting, but-
1: By um, virtue of this, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think that, you know, another parallel I saw here was I I almost view this novel, or the the I'll say the collective agents in the novel as a modern day zombie story. Mm-hmm. Um where zombies in the past were the metaphor that people would use to kind of explain this uh slow marching stupid uh ideology kind of encroaching but like easy to in- to to defeat individually but on mm-hmm. mass impossible, impossible to overcome
1: right because um, they just keep coming
0: Yeah because there's
1: just there's there's too many uh, they you just can't, keep coming. You can't convince all of them because you know you, you might be able to talk one of them into sense, but you can't do that with all. And their their programming is so tight. There's no there's no there's no way in. You know their programming is so tight that you can't penetrate it. Yeah, they're in a tight wrapped uh, loop of thought, non thought. Yeah.
0: Well, it, it seems to me that, like, in the past, when you, you deal with that ideology, zombie might be a good metaphor because it, there's some sort of magical, mystical element. But we've modernized enough now that people understand science, and I, this is maybe a better metaphor for uh, what's actually going on because you can explain it with some science in a way that I think people can grasp. It doesn't I, – like I said at the beginning, unfortunately, it doesn't feel very far-fetched.
1: Yeah, I know. That's what some that's what a lot of people say about the novel. This doesn't sound like the future. It sounds like the present. It's next <laughs> year. <laughs> right. yeah. Well, yeah. it is a metaphor metaphorically. It is meant to describe what's going on. That is the collective mind is a metaphor for something that's happening now. Right. The virus is a metaphor for something that's happening now. And it's not the virus as such. Uh, right. something right.
0: else. And the virus isn't the problem,
1: right? The virus is not the problem, right?
0: So do you think, uh, I know we have a limited time, so I wanna be respectful of your time. Are you gonna do another novel? Or are you gonna go back to nonfiction? What are you gonna That's do a after great this? great
1: question. I'm still deliberating that. Uh, some part of me wants to do fiction. A big part of me. Because it's fun. There's more liberation there. And again, you don't have this culpability of being like a conspiracy theorist or something. You're a legitimate conspiracy theorist. There's something about writing fiction that's okay. But if you yep. write this as if this is really happening, suddenly you're deemed this, you know, unbelievably retro, you know, you're you're this abject horror that you know we can't tolerate, you know, you're you're a heretic. You're a heretic. Right. But you're allowed to do this in a fictional landscape. It's very curious, you know, makes me wonder about some social issues, you know. Uh and the question of authorship, because Foucault, for all his uh, demerits, said that the first function of authorship was not to own intellectual property or to express originality. It was to give, make, to find somebody to blame. It made you blameworthy for what you said. Authorship was invented for blaming. Uh, so. So maybe fiction escapes this element of authorship in some sense. That you become I mean, less. That makes glamorous. sense. Yeah.
0: Right. You look at. I mean, you look at 1984. You know, you look at the writings of George Orwell or Huxley or Ray Bradbury or or Heinlein. Very mm-hmm. kind of had a lot of libertarian things to say, but got away with saying them all in, in fiction.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, that's why. That's why I wrote it mostly. This, I wanted to say things that I couldn't say without being discredited if I said, you know. well, If, if I said some of the things, oh, you're denying the virus is real, or you're denying this or that, or you're a conspiracy theorist, you think they're perpetrating this on purpose, you're some kind of a nut. Whereas I just created a fictional scenario where they are perpetrating on purpose. And what are you gonna do about it? <laughs>
0: right. right. And then and then you just have to hope that people aren't so brain dead that they can't draw the parallel to what's happening today. Right.
1: That's right. If they can't do that, then they're lost anyway, to me. They're lost to right. me. Yeah. Right. So well, cool. just let me ask you something now that I have your time. Does it work yeah. for you, the novel? Did it work? That's how I it. like that's how yeah, I, get I novels they have to work.
0: Yeah, it um I definitely felt like like I've said it, I felt like this is what's happening. I mean that's why I kind of opened by asking about COVID. I'm like this is what's happening now it's too uncanny that you came up with this in like sans COVID. I mean maybe you could have, I guess, but um yeah, I mean it was it totally lays it out in a way that I think helps I you know I think for a lot of people, they might get a little bit hung up on some of the jargon because there is some technical stuff in there that's, I think, difficult for people. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't judge. I'm an engineer. Yeah.
1: So it yeah. You, you're a nerd, so you get it. But
0: yeah, yeah there's
1: possibly a lot. My son, who's but, reading, um, doing the audio book, said that. He said, Boy, there's some technical stuff in here. I'm like, I, Really? I thought it was pretty. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't. I didn't view it as super technical,
0: but I like you know reading other novels. I'm like, okay, I don't know if people would like, would they get this? I don't. Maybe, Um, yeah. Maybe they wouldn't. Um, But I think that happens also. I don't read a lot of science fiction, and that might be normal in science fiction. So
1: yeah, they go um, even further than I do. You know, yeah. Some of it becomes fantasy. 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 It, It just gets ridiculous. I think.
0: There was nothing in here that I felt like was fantasy. It all seemed like, okay, like this is, you know, I don't know how nanites would work uh, attaching to my neocortex, (laughs) but I know that they could. uh, (laughs) So like, okay, you know. Yeah, they um,
2: could.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I mean, the only, to me, the only fantastical thing is, um, and this is just my personal issue with AI I don't believe that we're anywhere close to self-aware AI. I just don't. I don't no, no, I okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, that
1: was always, i try tried to keep that an open question. Does it know itself? You know, there was this whole dialogue right. between uh, Bodas and uh, Varen about collective mind. And he's asking them, does it have a knowledge of its knowledge? he doesn't quite know how to get at what he's saying. It's like, does he know what he knows that he knows that he knows? You know? <laughs> right, right. In other words, is right. there a self-consciousness of such? Yep. And he can't, that's never answered, I don't think.
0: Yeah. And my, my personal opinions about AI is just that I, I don't think we're close... To. I think a lot of people like to write novels about the singularity and blah, blah, blah. And I know right. Elon Musk thinks we're close to a singularity. And who am I to disagree with Elon Musk? But I disagree with
1: Elon Musk. I don't well, think we a singularity. Well, all he did is electric car so far. Let's get real. And a rocket. I mean, come on. These are...
0: Hey, he put a Tesla in space. It was kind yeah, of... Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know,
1: but that's not exactly the same thing. This could be a quantum leap, really.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's a, it's a difference in kind. I don't look out at current state of AI. Again, not that I'm an expert, but you know, I am an engineer and I have looked at it. Sure. I don't look at the current state of AI and say, "Oh, we're like, it's it's just a it's just quantity. We need more of this, and then we'll get there." I look at it and say, "It's a difference in kind. We're not there. Mm. We we're not. Yeah. We don't know anything about how to do that
1: actually." Yes, and that's um, true. That's actually the state of AI. When I worked in AI, it's distributed intelligence. They were never trying to create like an autonomous, all-knowing self that had the kind of mind that we do. Rather, they distributed different parts of what we call thinking to these different, you know, functionary, what they called agents, software agents. And these agents only did, like, one thing, you know, like they relayed something or they took something in and then they made a kind of uh, discrimination about it based on what they knew, what the database told them they knew and then spit yep. out an answer, but that's not self-conscious knowledge. Right. No, that's not self-consciousness.
0: Yeah, I mean, and we just don't understand how the human brain works very well. Right.
1: Right. And the sad
0: truth is we just don't, we don't get the human brain. So, uh, you know, although I'd love to have my consciousness uploaded someday, I, I, would, be, I would be in line for that if possible. But Yeah, I, I mean, I just, that's
1: uh, not something I objected to either, this idea of this kind of uh, cybernetic immortality it's it's not something that i i i uh you know out of religious grounds i would say no no you know that's my soul i would i would be interested in that but only if i'm not trapped or feel trapped inside of a fucking box you know excuse right. my look there no, no no i would want a flush button <laughs> yes let me this out, isn't of working here.
0: out delete me <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. cuz i'm very claustrophobic and <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't want to feel <laughs> hemmed in yeah yeah
0: Well, remind everyone where they can follow you, how they can uh, read um, more of your work, both fiction and nonfiction and that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, michaelrechtenwald.com is the center for all of it. Michael Rechtenwald, one word. Rechtenwald is R-E-C-T-E-N-W-A-L-D, no H, no K. There's links to all the books, either purchased directly from me at Apogee Bookstore on my website or linked to Amazon. Uh, I'm not sure which I prefer, because I like the Amazon ratings to go up, but I also like the uh, immediate cash infusion that comes with selling them directly. <laughs> Either take your pick, if you hate Amazon for, for, you know, because it's this gargantuan uh, monopoly, then buy it direct and I'll sign it for you and send it off. Michael Repton, Redken- oh, there's an incentive. Yeah.
0: You'll sign it if it doesn't come yeah. from Amazon. That's right. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna tell people to don't go to Amazon if they can. Buy it from you directly.
1: Yeah, direct, buy it directly. That way I get the money right away and you get the book with my signature. And if I know you, I'll write a note.
0: And Bezos doesn't get crap.
1: That's so right. That sounds good. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well, uh, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate the conversation. We are reading this book in book club, so we're going to have a book club on Sunday to talk about it, which will be great.
1: Um, oh, and, great. Uh, I'd like to hear how that goes.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks again. Okay, thanks
1: for having me. I appreciate it.
2: The following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Disavow no later than Monday at 1600 hours, Beijing time, to avoid penalties. Here's a fun lived experience. Hair sniffing is now a medically approved form of COVID safe greeting. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Technically speaking, cold weather is not evidence of anything at all, but warm weather is proof of catastrophic global warming. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news.